Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Argentina. Okay, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. That's good. That's good. Okay, I'm recording as well. We're up to episode well. 10. Hello again, and welcome back to Spin the Rally Pod, your rally fix in times of lockdown. I'm Lisa O'Sullivan, the rally fan, and as always, the motor mouths with the knowledge join me from splendid isolation across the UK. That's former team boss George Donaldson, Dirtfish senior staff writer David Evans, and the voice of rally himself, Colin Clark. Good afternoon, chaps. Good afternoon, Lisa. It's great. I feel like a teacher. We are in lockdown and so many people are being uh, teachers to their children. So that's what you've been doing for most of the day, isn't it, Colin? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, no, my kids are back to school. Mm, Yeah, no, back to school this week, which wasn't back to school, but it was back to the living room table. Uh, yeah, it's, it's can you been... imagine? Can you imagine back to school with Colin? <laughs> Sorry to jump in. No, no, that's, not, that's actually beyond any man's or woman's comprehension. What do you mean, boys? <laughs> Sorry, I, I, Colin, I was quite good personal, at school. But... I was quite good at school. And but, but yeah. you when know, you say I... nothing personal, David, when you say nothing personal, that 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 is pretty much as personal as you're going to get, really, isn't it? it <laughs> well, absolutely. And and moving on from Colin's uh, afternoon, I've got to talk about my afternoon, which is far more interesting, very exciting, <laughs> tap, tap, tapping away. Uh, and my wife and the children come running in to tell me that we have a visitor in the back garden. Uh, and uh, the visitor was being shepherded through the garden by the cat, the family oh. cat called Twinkle. Uh, and it was a duck, a duckling, <laughs> a tiny, tiny duckling. Oh. So Twink, Twinkle was a little bit nervous and kind of whacked it over the head a couple of times, but then didn't want to get too close because clearly it was about to be pecked. Um, and so, and then the thing just disappeared into the bushes uh, and reappeared half an hour later at the front door and just sat, on the, sat on the doormat. This better have so a happy we, ending. Well, we no, pr- well, it, it, it's not going to have a happy ending. Let's be honest. It's going to arrive in the house in the cat's mouth. <laughs> no, no, it's an ongoing drama. It's it's an ongoing drama because currently uh, the birds and actually I could take you outside and get you some bird noises because we've put one of them in the in a box um, and then another one arrived. Wow! Uh, and so he's with his mate. So we've now got two ducklings and they are tiny they just about fit in your hand oh. but we have no idea what to do with them well, so we've been for a homicide wonder. that's what this is mummy does that's going to kill it have you been lost everywhere right what right give kate what humble a ring kate humble will know what to do she knows what to do in all circumstances <laughs> well the thing is with ducks they imprint fairly quickly after they hatch so if they haven't seen their mum you are now mum Mum. <laughs> wow. Or Twinkle, That's quite or a twinkle is mum. Isn't it? <laughs> I've always wanted a pet duck. How small, how small are these ducklings, David? They genuinely, they would fit in your hand. And they, and oh, they, oh, and really we put tiny. them both in a box. That's a shame. 
Um, and they're trying to flap their wings, oh. and they are. They're trying to jump out of the box now. Um, so I've got some pictures. I tell you what, we'll put a we'll put a thingy on a picture on our social media channels uh, of the ducks, and maybe somebody could could suggest a name for the ducks. Maybe Not David's. But by, by the time the pictures go up, the ducks will be dead. Let's face oh, it. Let's no, face Colin. it. They, have, they will be. They'll no. be dead, mate. No. You know, David, that, I'm on your side. Save the it. ducks. Thanks, Come let's on, get them their own Facebook account and uh, tell us. Well, at least they're not on a rally stage because, let's face it, any wildlife on a rally stage usually uh, doesn't uh, hang around for long. Oh. Um, Argentina, no. we're going to talk about Argentina. That's our, our motive today. And I am going to keep an eye on the clock, you guys. You oh. need to get all of this into Ooh. 45 minutes today, not an hour and 10 minutes, which is how long Sorry. it took us to talk about the second part of Sebastian Ogier's career. Even though we said... We'd... Well, hurry up and ask a question then. Argentina. <laughs> we, we, should be, we should be preparing for Argentina. We should be getting ready for Argentina. I've never been to Argentina. I have always been back in the studio hearing tales of how great the steak is and how we need to have some more Malbec. And wow, what a brilliant place it is. It's like being on the moon. I feel like I've missed it and I'm going to miss it again this year. Mm. Well, I, w- I first went in 1990. That was my first visit. Gosh, you must wow, have been... Like, nobody can compete with that. 40? And, and it, was in, it, was in, it was in July <laughs> in, in 1990 and, and um, we all left here in summer and, and we'd, we'd asked, our, our team manager at the time was uh, Jürgen Bertel. And he just said, oh, your normal clothes will be fine. Everything will be good. You know, take a take a winter jacket or whatever, but that'll be fine. We got there to Buenos Aires where we're waiting for all the sea freight. There was about four of us arrived a little bit ahead of everybody else. It was a late call to go there with Carlos. And our second driver was Jorge Ricaldi. Oh, and his fabulous. co-driver was Martin Christie, whom I formed a lifelong friendship with. I'm hoping that somebody's listening from, from Argentina, maybe even Martin himself. And... Um, the uh, we were waiting for all the parts to arrive in, in this garage in Buenos Aires and there was ice, it, it was frosty, every morning was frosty and so we, we ended up having to get the team doctor to bring a whole load of thermal clothes because <laughs> by the time you get up to Cordoba in the, in the, you know, in, in the mountains we, we were seeing minus five, minus six in snow it was amazing, but absolutely yeah. shocking that was nothing, though, was it, compared to, uh, it was 83, the year after the Falklands, uh, which obviously it didn't run in in 82 because of the Falklands War. But in 83, they moved it because it used to be based in Tucumán for the first two years. Clearly, somebody's written a few features about Rally Argentina. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, and then Hang on, Pat- in Patagonia, they, they speak Welsh in south. Patagonia, It started in Buenos Aires, drove through the night to, I can't remember the name of the place, uh, but it stopped there and then did two days out of um, Bariloche, which is yeah. where that's ski resort, isn't it? And yeah. properly in the Andes and yeah. just a beautiful part of the world. And I've just finished yeah. writing another piece about the the trip that Colin and I say we're going to take every single mm. year. Uh, and still year. haven't taken to, to Tierra del Fuego and Patagonia, which for me, I have to say, I would just love to get down there. Um, Hang on, Pat- you... Patagonia. They speak Welsh in Patagonia, don't they? They do in parts yeah, of probably, yeah, probably yeah. Parts one of... tiny village and one tiny part. What? They probably do, yeah. But it's not just tiny, George. There, there are quite a few thousand people that, that speak fluent Welsh. And it, okay, yeah. it's a, you know it's obviously a South American version of Welsh, but it's it's you're only talking. I think a hundred years ago. I think the hundredth anniversary of that yeah. that um, 
what was it? It was like an expedition, wasn't it? It was basically that's quite quite. Should I tell that story or not about how that came about? Tell that story very very quickly, very quickly, Josh. Very 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 quickly. There was there was obviously the Welsh are a bit like the Scots. They're an incredibly patriotic, very nationalistic uh, nation. And uh, about a hundred or so years ago, I, there was I missed a, that gene. Well, <laughs> well, there was a feeling. There was a feeling <laughs> that perhaps Welshness was disappearing. That the uh, the ruling Westminster Parliament were perhaps doing their best to uh, a bit like the Highland clearances in Scotland to to get rid of Welshness. So uh, there was there was one fellow who was very charismatic, uh, and he, he had an awful lot of influence over a number of communities in Wales. And he said, "Well, we're going to start a new Wales. We're going to go and we're going to preserve." the Welsh character, the Welsh culture, the Welsh language, but we're going to do it in an entirely different country, free of any outside influences. Let's all go to Argentina. And remarkably, this is the remarkably... the Pilgrim Fathers then. Exactly. Many, many thousands of, of um, proper Welsh people got on the boat, went down to Buenos Aires, they headed across the Pampas, up into the mountains, pushing a piano, the first lot of them, and they settled in... in uh, <laughs> They, yeah, pushing a piano, and that piano is still about, apparently. And they settled, as you say, in Patagonia, Elise. And, and to this day, to this day, there is still a very, very strong Welsh culture, Welsh language in that part of Patagonia. It's quite quite incredible. And our friend, Emir Penlan, who worked on the radio with us, Lisa, he, uh, he produced a couple of really, really good pieces for Welsh television uh, from that part of the world a few years ago. There you go. That's my first useless story. You know, the story most, the, the most, the, the most interesting bit of that story was the piano bit. No, that was interesting. I have to say. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen a movie about that, but I think it was based in New Zealand, and someone, someone lost their fingers. <laughs> so, if we were going to be heading off towards Argentina at this stage of the year, and obviously would have to ignore any results that had gone beforehand, if we were going out there to Argentina, who would we be expecting to impress us on the stages? Well, according to Colin, but equally, from what Collins just said, it would only be Alvin Evans, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's t- difficult, though. I mean, trying to get a piano into that Toyota is not going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, I'm sure that's going to slow it down. You could, you could do the it one, behind the you. One guy, the, one, the one guy who would, would he struggle, does he struggle anywhere, is Sebastian Ogier, who, of course, famously has never won in Argentina. Uh, despite well, starting quirky, something like yeah. ten times there, he's he's never won it. He's come close on a few occasions, uh, but 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 never quite done it. And I reckon we know Sebastian quite well, and we know that he is a driver who doesn't really enjoy the ruts. He doesn't enjoy a, that kind of movement in the car at high speed, and you get a lot of that, don't you, George? In uh, on the second run uh, of you stages do. in Argentina, you do it ruts out. Do you get the tram lines? And you've yeah. got to you've got to have complete confidence. And not saying that he doesn't always have complete confidence. Of course he does. But some drivers are just a little bit more nervous, aren't they, in those kind of conditions? But, yeah, and it's a pretty it's a pretty hairy experience. I've, I've, I've the worst George, I've tell ever us, experienced is in in Sweden like that, and it is horrendous. George, can it you is. tell us what the conditions are like in Argentina when when the teams are preparing for this? And and as you've mentioned, the weather can be frosty. It can be wet. It can be dry, and yeah, so it can be really quite terrifying. In some ways, a mixed bag. Um, rallies in the past have been won because the car, the first car on the road, got a dust-free run. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, uh, we've had we've had uh, teams in the past uh, going through and uh, watering the stages down. 
Uh, they've employed water tankers and they've gone through in front of their cars to try and damp the stage down so that their car running number two on the road wouldn't be so badly dusted by the car number one on the road, which I have to say was a Toyota Diddy mm. Oreo. Um, when Diddy won in, was it 98? 98, I think, Diddy won there. I think that's right. Um, he won by only a handful of seconds from Carlos, I think it was. George, um, George, George, I, George. I spectated, I spectated that whole stage from an airplane at 15,000 feet. Amazing. Well, but that was when your pilot was awake and not yeah. asleep. George, there's a fantastic <laughs> that was picture. A that was a different pilot that year. There, there's a fantastic picture appeared this week of you. I think it was one of the McLean pictures of you in Oriel's rally-winning Toyota trying to move it, I think, from the ceremonial finish. Was that Argentina or not? Where was that? Did you see that no, picture? That was, I, think that was, uh, I think that was probably Spain. Right. Did he won there in 1998? I thought it was 98 the um, picture was and from. He wasn't nominated. He wasn't nominated as a driver. Right. He was incapable of producing any results that year of any well, any decent results. I think, I think he won Argentina, having said that. He was struggling anyway, and um, we decided not to nominate him, and we nominated Freddie Loix instead. Wow. And so we nominated Freddie and Carlos. Carlos, I think, retired. Um, uh, Freddie had a great drive to second place, and did he won. <laughs> there you go. That's quite wow. remarkable. What can, um, what can you say? David, Very annoying. David, um, while we're talking about Argentinian, uh, you know, things that go on in Argentina, you know, for me, one of my biggest memories, a couple of huge memories that I'll tell you about later, but uh, one of my biggest memories of Argentina was Hayden Padden's win there. And in particular, that performance on El Condor, that last, because it was a last stage win for Padden, wasn't it? Uh, and that was yep. obviously Seb Ogier that he beat. Everyone expected Ogier to take the win in Argentina. At the start of that stage, I think the odds would have been massively odds on for, for Ogier to win that stage because he was, uh, you know, he was in the, he was in the better car. He was the better driver without any doubt. He had more experience. He was going to win that stage. And then we saw from Padden one of the greatest single stage performances we have seen from any driver anywhere. But we never really quite got to the bottom of why Ogier seemed to be a little bit off on that stage. You know, did you ever manage to work it out? No, you're exactly right. So I think there was only a couple of seconds mm -hmm. uh, after Mina Clavero, the stage before, the, the penultimate stage. Uh, and then, I mean, Ogier wasn't even second quickest, was he? He dropped like 10 or 12 seconds or something. It was a, a huge amount. And... There's, there's part of me that thinks, you know, was he in, he was obviously leading the championship then. Did he did he give that? I, I thought, I don't remember any moments or anything um, for him. And I'm sure, you know, he he pushed to the, to the absolute maximum, but the, it, the the time just didn't happen. And But equally, you know, that moment, every now and then you get drivers that can elevate themselves. Uh, and that happened. That's definitely what happened with, with Padden. He was so fired up going into that day. We've talked about this before on a podcast about that argument that him and, and Ogier had had the, the night before uh, in, in service. Uh, and it really, really fired Hayden up. Um, and I think you're quite right. You know, he never drove a better stage than, than El Condor. And it is one of the most complicated and tricky and horrible and nasty and twisty and just a real nagery stage yeah. um and we've all it been really over is. there uh and to try and make time 
or to try and defend a position oh. there, you know, going going yeah. ten tenths. You know, we saw Elvin, didn't we, in, in 17. He, he literally touched the bridge with the left rear. Uh, and lost the event by seven tenths of a second or something. It's it was to to do that. What he did to Ogier was was phenomenal, and you know the greatest moment of Padden's career. Without any question, without any question. And and do you know what so was far. It? So, so far, so far, so far. So far. Sorry, yes, quite. Yeah, you know, you know, we mustn't forget Padden is Padden is working on various projects, and we might well see him back at some point. I, I'm not convinced we will, but we might. But what was really telling about that stage win was uh, you know the interviews with Padden afterwards, David, and the fact that. He had actually put a massive amount of effort into that stage before Rally Argentina oh. in terms of studying the onboards, preparing with some some very elusive mind guru from Norway, I think it was, wasn't it? Some, someone, yeah. someone, he'd employed the services of some bloke to help him visualise, to help him maximise his performance in the stage. Uh, you know, and if he told us that before... Did it work? Yeah, clearly. Clearly, clearly it works. Clearly. He Branched absolutely Branched annihilated them. You know, night, but, yeah. it was, it, but that it was, was where, gone. That that was where Padden was just brilliant, though. You know, mm. he looked and he took everything from the periphery of everything and mm. and pulled it in, didn't he? You know, he wasn't just naturally talented. You know, he worked massively hard on his fitness, as they all do. The nutrition, your psychology, everything. There was that. Um, he used the guy from the All Blacks, Jill. Uh, Gilbert, sorry, Gilbert. I can't remember his, his Christian name, but I made the huge mistake of saying to Hayden once, "Are you still using that Gilbert guy from the All Blacks?" And he said, "Yeah, you, you mate, it's it's Gilbert." <laughs> um, Gilbert Anoka, was it? I don't know. I can't remember. But you know, I mean, that was the level that he took it to, um, and and did it brilliantly. And I have to say, one of my abiding memories. Uh, of that is I, I always have got on really well with Hayden, but particularly well with John Keenard, who's a, a, such a lovely guy. Um, yep. And uh, I went uh, to the to the final service, of course, uh, and everybody was cheering. It was all brilliant and blah, blah, blah. And then they, the car was just leaving and it was a slight panic because the celebrations had gone on a little bit and they'd got to get to the ceremonial finish. Uh, and so I turned to sort of run out of the way. And just at that point, John was running to get into the car and I was carrying my um, retractable pencil in my hand, and I stabbed him in the chest <laughs> with some, some extreme force. And poor John was left limping into the car. So I've apologised on numerous occasions, John, and I would just like to say sorry again for stabbing you uh, on the on the best day of your uh, career. What do you do to co-drivers you don't like, then? <laughs> you don't want to know, George. Do you George. take your notes with retractable pencils, David? Yeah. Always, oh. always, always. 0.5 uh, thingy lead. Uh, yeah, I'm in fact oh, yeah. holding one it's right basically, now. It's basically the equivalent of you, Lisa, with your wax rolls. When you're doing your recording, you always use a wax <laughs> roll backup. Old Edison, you know. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, actually saying that, of course, that takes me to the, the, the old NASA joke about how much the Americans spent on creating a pen, a pen that could write upside down or could write in zero gravity and the Russians used a pencil. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But George, um, George, what would you say is your favourite memory of Argentina or what's the best story you've not been allowed to tell anyone before now that you can just tell us? Gosh, gosh, uh, there's, there's so many. Argentina is great. First of all, just to let people get a bit of an imagery about the place, when I first went there, it was like, so I, I would have been mid-30s. Um, the 
it was it was like uh, stepping back into your childhood. Everything looked old fashioned and yeah. and <laughs> li- like my childhood in in uh, in in Scotland. It, it just it just was. It was you know the street lights were old fashioned. The roads were concrete. We still had concrete roads in some parts of Scotland before they started asphalting everything. So it was just it had this it has it had and has this unique feel. Carlos Pass doesn't feel terribly different when you come down off the main highway down into where all the hotels are the same fantastic old feel mm. and you know you'd be driving down there over these little funny crossroads and, and a go-kart <laughs> like a proper little George. go-kart will go flying over the road at 70 miles an hour <laughs> right, in front of you it's terrifying do you know what i'm envisaging now kids you know with what? no helmets tell what, me what i can see right now is exactly that crossroads coming coming off of the main road yeah, and it was it was I think you it was driving with you when that one happened. It particular. was you driving. Yeah. You were driving the Subaru minibus, Mackinnon and Solberg in the back, me Quite in the up. passenger seat, yeah. and we were late for the press. Right. It was my my very very first uh, proper rally. I'd been to Monte Carlo, which yeah it was a proper rally, but it was my first rally as a, a, a sponsor's representative, uh, and I'd literally just arrived, and and we were staying in the hotel across the other side of the lake. Almost opposite was HQ where the, the press conferences were, but it was quite a long way around and we were late. And in those days, the fines yeah. were massive if you were late for the press conference. And I just remember closing my eyes, George, as we went through a culvert across a six-way crossroads with Mackinnon and Solberg in the back at about 120 kilometres an hour. It was terrifying. It was utterly <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> I'm a very careful driver when I've got like, you know, 12 million quids worth of driver in the back. Um, I would know the junction quite well, Colin. I'm sure I was I was being uh, suitably... I would drive... Uh, you know, I adopt local driving practices in order to survive locally, there is a- which is great in Argentina because the local driving practices are quite cavalier, I think is there the is expression a, I would There use. is a time limit of liabilities. I can't remember what that's called when you, uh, you... You can't be prosecuted, George, so you can just be honest that you were rallying a minibus. Oh, right, OK, I was rallying a minibus. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't. I really wasn't. So uh, in terms of incredible events, um, I don't know. I, I remember pulling uh, uh, a, a rally on, on a recce. I remember pulling a rally driver in a, a rental car. His car was broken and the front strut had, had broken on it. And we tried to repair it three times and it fell off. And I, and I, I ended up putting a really short, like a 10-foot chain on the, on the back of the... the, the the MEN truck that I had. This was back, it must have been 1991 or something. Uh, and George. the driver was Mohammed bin Sulayem. The co-driver was uh, Mr. McNamee, Ronan McNamee. Uh. And I, I pulled them out of there about 60, 70, 80 kph through this little gravel road, which was, it was one of the lower stages, not the, not the, uh, the El Condor stages, but... Um, Santa Rosa the, the, stage, maybe. We, we just we just wore the engine away. We wore the front of the car away, pulling it out because it was on the way to get it out. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I remember though, George. Sorry to have interrupted you there, but mm. a, a story suddenly came to me that you have to tell, uh, and that was the uh, night before the final day in '93, when um, Mr. Nicky Griss suggested that you should put some petrol in the in the van. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, okay. So we start. We started a bit of a. I was at, at that time. I was team coordinator, uh, and that one of my jobs was to be in the communications aircraft. Something that I maintained when I became team manager at times. Although the relay stations became better, so I was driving from Carlos Pass to the airport every morning, and I would drop off the drivers on the way, 
and I had a brand new um, Peugeot 505, I think it was, but the, but the fuel gauge didn't work. And, and the other, other team members had been using this before I got given it just literally at the start of the rally. So I said, how much fuel's in it? Nobody knew. So I went and filled it up at the petrol station, right up to the top. Gauge is still not working fine, not a worry. Uh, I know it's full now, driving backwards and forwards to the airport, 40 kilometres. Um, on the Saturday night, so uh, um, Nicky was a late stand-in, I think, at that point. Was that the point? That it was, yeah, yeah, it was a late, exactly, sta yeah. late stand-in for, for Juha Kankinen because uh, Piro had had a, a stroke. Yeah. Um, so now, last day of the rally, it was probably a four-day event at that point. Last second last day of the rally, we're driving back to the hotel and uh, I'd already spoken to Yuha about the fact that the fuel gauge didn't work and we could have a bit of a wind-up on uh, on um, on Nicky. And um, uh, I'd also spoken to Diddy and, and um, Bernard Ocelli and we said, OK, we'll, 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 we'll craft the wind-up. So on the way back to the hotel on that, uh, on effectively, it wouldn't have been a Saturday night because the rally probably ran during the week, but... We, um, I, I said to Nicky, I said, Jesus, we're a bit low on fuel here. I, I better fill this up. I think we'll get back to Carlos Pass. And Nicky said, look, stop and get fuel on the way down. We don't mind. We don't want to run off on, run out on the way to the hotel. And I said, no, no, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it later. Don't worry. So uh, I dropped him at the hotel and Nicky admonished to, for me to go and uh, fill it up. And I went away and did whatever I had to do. And of course, didn't fill it up. I think actually I did fill it up just to make absolutely sure. And it only took about 15 litres. Anyway, in the morning, we're driving away and Nicky, uh, we were just, just driving out, out of Carlos Pass. So if you can imagine, we're going back to Cordoba. You drive out of Carlos Pass in a dual carriageway, all traffic lights. You pass the last petrol station before Cordoba. It's about 25, 30 k's to Cordoba. You, you, you turn to go up a steep hill. Just before we turned to go up the steep hill, I said, oh, you are. I said, I, I forgot to get petrol last night. I th it's pretty low. I, maybe I should go back and you are flat just as cool as a cucumber looked across at the gauge he said ah it's only it's only it's not off the red yet george it'll be okay it'll, it'll be fine and i said it's nearly off the red you are no no it'll be fine just keep going george it's okay and nikki who was in the middle at the back leaning forward and looking at this gauge george why didn't you fill it up and he was getting quite agitated i said it'll be okay nikki you know i mean if it, if it runs out on the way up the hill we'll be able to freewheel back down and get fuel and it's about a two kilometer climb out this hill quite a steep hill and it's sort of like a motorway at this point now so we went up the hill and I'm accelerating like mad up this hill and we got quite near the top and I just jerked the throttle a couple of times. Oh, that's it. So I swerved the car a little bit. Oh, and it picked up again and away we went. Nicky's going, turn around, turn around. But you couldn't because there was a, a, a concrete barrier and we didn't have that much time anyway, you know, to, to get to the, the part for me. So... On we went, and I went about another five or six k's, and it was fine. And I was leathering on, you know, I'd be doing about 120, 130 kph. And Nicky saying, "Go a bit slower, you know, preserve the fuel. It'll be fine, Nicky. It'll be fine. Don't worry." And then we're about halfway, and I did it again, and we did it again, and we pretended it was running out. Nicky was in the back. He was basically catatonic, muttering to himself <laughs> by the time we'd finished this twenty-five. We should journey. point out, George, here that Nicky and Yuha were leading. They were leading. Oh yeah, it was Nicky's Nicky's first chance for the win. So he was he was he he wanted to be angry, but but between Bernard and Diddy, who were flanking him in the seat, they were saying, "Don't worry about it, Nicky. It's a lovely place. Someone will stop and pick us up. They love the rally. We'll get there. Okay, it's fine, George. Don't worry about it." 
and, and you us in the back. And, and Nikki couldn't understand why everyone was being so cool about it. But I started to play a bit nervous. I said, oh, guys, you know, maybe maybe we should try and go into the town and get some fuel. No, 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 we'll get stuck and we won't be on rally route. And, and oh, it just was such a drama. Well, we got down, we, we, we spluttered our way. We were really quick crafted about it. We spluttered our way into the, the, the park for me. Nikki was... He had actually had tears in his eyes and he wouldn't he wouldn't deny the fact he had tears in his eyes. He was so relieved. He literally had to be carried out the car. <laughs> and uh, and I, I got out the car as well. And he said, well, you know what you're going to do now? You've got to get to the airplane. And I said, ah, Nicky, I said, don't worry. It's, it's absolutely full. We were just winding up, jumped back in the car and drove away. His <laughs> face, his face, he literally collapsed. He was being held up by Diddy and, and Yuha as I drove away. Gee whiz, it was a it was a good wind up. It really was. And how did he perform it was that? Very, it, was cruel, it, was... it was cruel. It was cruel. But the... Nicky, look, Nicky is one of the most wonderful co-drivers to to work with. Very, very professional. Very diligent. Contributes massively to the team, uh, and that's one of the nicest things about so many of the co-drivers. They are brilliant to work with. They contribute was, to the was, team. They work with you. Nicky was Nicky was very rude about you that day, though, George. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't actually. You know, he accepted the wind up was in good faith, and and obviously I had everybody in on it. But I um, I've got to just jump in here and follow that one up. I I had a, a brilliant interview with Nick a couple of years ago about this event, uh, and of course he did go on to win uh, his first ever WRC win, um, and so. The amazing bit about that event was straight after Argentina in 93, uh, he and Yuho were flying uh, straight to Auckland for Rally New Zealand. Um, so uh, Nicky said in those days, you know, he didn't drink a lot and, you know, he was still very diligent in trying to, to make his way in the sport and everything. So they'd, they'd done the celebration in Villa Carlos Paz or Cordoba, I think it was. Um, and well, so, it usually went on to, our, to to Buenos Aires. Let's be honest; it was a so, yeah, so, celebration. It was so good. So the next day, uh, the day after the the event finished, they were going to Buenos Aires to fly to Auckland, um, that, which was sort of the day after. So they'd got a night in Buenos Aires. Uh, so Nick said they they went into this lovely hotel. There was there was Yuha Timo, who was Yuha's brother, uh, who did gravel notes for them, and Nick, and they checked into the hotel. Uh, and and Yuho was like, right, straight up, get changed, and we'll go out for something to eat. We'll take you to this amazing restaurant. So off they went to this amazing restaurant, and Gristy said there was lit, there was a bottle of red, then another, then another, uh, and the drinking just carried on. And that was when he, the evening that he discovered Fernet Branca, oh which God. is an Italian liqueur that, oh, that, um, that is very popular in that part Lethal. of the world. So on and on and on, and eventually they got back to the hotel, uh, and Nick said as they were as they were leaving, as they were going up to their rooms, he said to to Yuha, "We're checking out at ten sharp. Got to get to the airport. Get on the plane to Auckland. Yeah, yeah, no problem." So Christie's downstairs at ten, and and in walks Yuha. Look, this is all a real shame. So we're hoping to do a podcast with Nick, and I'm actually stealing one of his best stories. But we'll ask him to to tell us in in his inimitable way. So he gets there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Yuha walks in and Nicky said he didn't look too bad and he was oh, quite surprised and the, the he said morning, morning and Yuha turns to the receptionist uh, name Kankanen, come to check out so the guy's like, yeah, fine and is anything from the minibar, sir, Mr Kankanen? and Nicky said there was a pause and Kankanen said, I left you the light bulb <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and him and his brother had emptied too many bars. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, th- and then off they went and got on the plane to go uh, over to South Pole to uh, to Auckland. Uh, I did but, that route once. It was quite an interesting flight. Yeah, I can imagine. I can yeah, imagine. Well, you, you stopped down in the Tierra del Fuego. Oh. Uh, the airplanes, or wherever I think it's Tierra del Fuego, the airplane stops at some big airbase. Yeah, Argentine wow. airbase, and then and then you fly effectively. You go right over Antarctica, not obviously <sighs> over the South Pole, but you go right out over Antarctica. At that time, it was one of the longest flights that you could do. Uh, I timed it, I think, at fourteen hours forty-five minutes, and that's in a classic seven four seven. But, but I hasten to say that the aircraft was half empty and I dare say that every single fuel tank on it was bunged full. Mm. And we stopped wow. in Christchurch, which was the first place for us to, to be able to stop. 14 but hours, it, 45 minutes. Th- there is something about those the Southern Hemisphere events. You know, they, it, there is, yeah. there's an element of sort of romanticism about them. But it was the same when Definitely. we went to Chile for the first time last year. You know, that journey through the Andes. Uh, and it, it was great. And Argentina, for me, is always, from the minute you touch down in Buenos Aires, it's always an adventure. It is. Uh, it is it. an adventure. I, I actually find, because yeah. obviously... What's with, your, with, I want to know what your best stories well, are from uh, Argentina. Well, one of mine, least. I mean, I, you know, Facebook is a great thing for pinging back Facebook memories. And, uh, and a picture appeared yesterday, I think it was, in my memories of an incredible road that, that I uh, took maybe, um, I think it was eight years ago now, nine years ago, when I flew into Santiago and took the bus to Carlos Paz. To do that, you have to cross the Andes. And that was just, that was some trip. But it's like you say, David, it is an adventure. The whole thing is an adventure. Getting there, once you're there, it's an adventure because, you know, the fans are so different. They're so enthusiastic. They're so absolutely committed to their rallying. And, you know, it, one of my best memories, again, goes back, George, it's a story involving you and the minibus again. Um, but it was the first time, again, that I was there, 2002. <laughs> I was there as a sponsor, not, not, not as a media person. And I think it was after the press conference, we had the ceremonial start in the centre of Carlos Paz. So I'm still in the minibus with you. And we drove down from the Portal del Lago Hotel into the centre of Carlos Paz. And the crowds were just phenomenal. There were people hanging out of windows. They were five deep Mm. on balconies. They were 10 or 15 deep in the street. And there was a uh, obviously a street that they kept open for the cars and the drivers to to come to the ceremonial start. And we drove up in the minibus, and I'm in the passenger seat, and we stop, and I'm taking in all these crowds, a little bit awestruck. And George says, well, just get out and open the door so that Tommy can get out the back, because he's in the back, the sliding door. So I jump out, and I pull the sliding door to... And Tommy's face appears from the back of this minibus. And my good God, at that point, I thought, I know what it must feel like to be a rock star. Because the noise from the crowd when they saw Tommy coming out of this minibus, it was just, it was deafening. It was tens of thousands of people in complete adulation of Tommy Mackinnon. And it, it, it just, it was one of those moments that stays with you. It makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck at the time and makes the hair stand up mm. on the back of your neck when you think about it. They're, they're just special. It's, it, it, it's the combination of everything, isn't it? It's, it's, the, it's the, the culture out there. It is the scenery. It's the, the stages. Atmosphere it it's the atmosphere. Mm, and it's yeah. the fans. But mm. I think the fans more than anything make the rally. I, yes. I did, the, I did the, the Condor thing of a few, couple of, just a couple of years ago, actually, with... With Scary, our friend Gary Osborne, uh, who was filming for Citroen. <laughs> uh, and the two of us went 
um, and obviously we had some media credentials so we could jump through a few roadblocks to get up on because you know we've driven through there Colin you know two or mm. three four nights before this, the event goes up there you know it's through there on a Sunday we've been over there on say the, the Wednesday or the Thursday and it's packed it's packed. already packed you can't find the best place to, to, to park your tent or whatever but Scary and I went up during the event and oh my good lord it's just it is something else it's everything you hope it will be you know the 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 people selling bread you know walking up and down selling their warm bread and just you know everywhere you turn people are offering you either a beer or you know a steak sandwich or some of that weird stuff that they what is that tea thing that they make in the remember mm. in the little cup yeah a mate 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 yeah yeah no I, I didn't try any of that but but i have to say that the actual <laughs> bit of watching the cars, it, it it is the best place in the world to watch. You know the the anti lags mm. bouncing off the rocks, and it's just phenomenal. And it's freezing cold first time through there because mm. you know you're up two thousand one hundred meters or something, and it feels like you are literally on the moon. Uh, and then you sort of walk back through the crowds, um, and I did this, and and you get you get to where the sort of business end of sleeping in the mountains for three or four days. And it was really quite unpleasant, you know. If you were thinking of doing it, I, I, I would, yeah. um, I would give it a second thought. Um, and it, yeah, it was quite, it was quite fetid over the back there. Um, but still, you know, we got back to the car, we drove out and stopped at this cafe in in, in El Condor, which is kind of a, a small kind of hamlet thing, um, and just had you know the what was actually the worst cup of coffee I've ever had, uh, and a sweet pastry thing. But it didn't matter. You know, That's you it. walked out yeah. of there and the condors were circling overhead. It was magical, absolutely mm. magical. It's a proper sort of pinch yourself moment to, to be there. It was, and that's yeah. what, you know, the, the likes of, of Sardinia, you know, not to decry Sardinia, all of these great events are great, but there is something special about somewhere like Argentina. Absolutely. It is magical. It is a film set. It's yeah. real it life. Is. It's you know what makes it? It's just the people. Argentine people are just so fantastic, so welcoming, so warm, so friendly, and they eat so well. My mm. God, yeah. four yeah. or five hour lunches are normal, yeah. and I enjoy my four or five hour lunch after the rally in Buenos Aires. Every year mm. I've been for about <laughs> the last five or six times I was there with um, with Matt the Sat. We were managing a four or five hour lunch in Buenos Aires the day George, after the they- rally. They are fantastic lunch. people, but it's the yeah. only place in the world where I have ever been mugged for a fake Rolex. There is one, there's one, Argent, <laughs> there's one Argentinian person who's not great, and he's the git of a taxi driver who ripped me off, not once, but twice, uh, on, one, on the journey to back to the airport. But apart I have from been that, ripped off by a taxi driver in Buenos Aires as well. Yeah, yeah, You've got to be careful of them. Yeah. Probably the same one. Yeah, <laughs> probably it's just the same guy. We've been targeted. <laughs> discriminatory that is yeah but no, anyway, it is great place we are kind of heading towards the end of time here um as a rally fan who has never been to argentina and i'm going to have to wait a little bit longer for the chance to head out to cordoba and enjoy everything that you've spoken about as a novice rally fan what advice would you give to someone who is preparing to go to argentina for the first time next year i put i would what do I do? What do I Have see? What do I eat? Salad every third day. Put Don't your worry meat about the rest of it. Put your meat eating trousers on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I was going to say eat, eat plenty of veg before you leave because you won't eat any veg when you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> 
have to say, the, the, f- the first time I went for a meal, we ordered uh, my friend, myself, and my my colleague uh, Andy Burnett. We both ordered uh, T-bone steaks, and the guy said, oh, "I'll bring you the meat and let you see it." Look, it's okay. We're from Scotland. We know what a T-bone steak looks like. Just bring us a couple of T-bone steaks. Well, these steaks arrived. They must have been two and a half kilos each. They were two and a half inches thick, and they must have been they must have been four hundred millimeters long, and I don't know three hundred and fifty millimeters wide. I was so embarrassed. How, how, it was genuinely. How did you dream that night? Uh, I can't remember dreaming. I, I I managed to eat half of the steak. Andy, uh, he ate pretty well all of it. I don't quite know, but we, but he was ill the next day. We were both basically not eating the next day. We were off food. But it, and the other fabulous thing there, when you go there, Lisa, a submarino. It's the 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 um, oh, Argentine nah, version nah. of a hot chocolate. A hot chocolate. George, I was so disappointed. Very warm you, you milk, and they give you a the bar of chocolate. You built it up, Submarino's and then it was great. so disappointing. It's absolutely great. It's absolutely great. It's unusual, but it's nice. There's two other things. Uh, empanadas, which are oh. perfect little oh, Argentinian yep. pasties. Uh, and everything has to be consumed with a glass of Malbec, a large one. Yeah. Actually, there is one other thing that's brilliant, and that's in the Porto de Lago, the, ho- the hotel where the whole thing is based around. A cheese and ham toasty. Oh, oh yes. Oh, oh, just yes. brilliant. Just but do you know tostada, what I like? I, I love... Exactly. Do you know, I, I've got a theory. I have a theory about cheese and ham toasties that wherever you go in the world, you will always be able to get a cheese or ham or a cheese toasty. and ham toasty. Yeah. After a fashion, you're absolutely right. So yeah, so much to experience there. Um, Such a fantastic place. Beautiful scenery. Don't forget the dogs. Dogs dogs are lovely. Everywhere. Rally dogs. Rally dogs. Yes, we used to hear quite often at stage end from you, Colin. Part of the thing from my childhood, people used to just let their dogs out. You're not allowed to do that these days, I guess, in this country. But in Argentine, everyone lets their dogs out. Dog roam, dogs roam around and eventually come back for their dinner, I guess. I'm pretty sure there's a place in Argentina where all the dogs, the dogs basically all meet Buenos up. Aires. They they let them out at the end of the day. They oh. all go, they go and spend the day together. And then when it's dinner time, they all just head off wow. home again. There was something seen, on the telly about the it. You've seen the dog walkers in Buenos Aires uh, with, with 20 or 30 dogs on, 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 on the lead, on each hand. <laughs> They're literally walking 60 dogs. It's, Can I give have, you another? Look at that for, on the internet, you will find that. Another recommendation, least for when you go next year. There yes, are a please. few, there are a few pilgrimages that you have to go on. Clearly, clearly, one of them is El Condor, the other is the Portel del Lago, just to experience Rally HQ. But the third is the Stadium Mario Kempes in Cordoba, because not only, not only is it the 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 site of Matthew Wilson's greatest ever stage single stage performance where I think he won the stage there one year but it is also it is also where the greatest goal in the history of the world cup was scored by Archie Gemmell in 1978 <laughs> against against <laughs> against Holland now now you know and they're few and far between those Scottish World well, Cup they, glories. Well, that was that was that was the, mo- the most glorious moment in in our World Cup history, where we very nearly knocked Holland out of the World Cup. Um, but the, the, but, <laughs> but the interest the interesting story about that is that Archie Gemmell is is a bit of a god in Cordoba because Scotland were based in Cordoba that year, and a, and a massive number of Scotsmen went out there. They, they reckon somewhere in the region of twenty to twenty five thousand. Now Argentina might as well have been on the moon. For Scots people in Glasgow, it was that far away and that difficult to get to in 1978. And somehow, 
20 odd thousand Scotsmen got to Cordoba. Uh, Archie Gemmell scored that goal and he, he's, he's more or less treated like as a, go- a god there. And I did actually see him in the service park one year, uh, about seven or eight years ago. But the interesting thing is 20,000 Scotsmen went out, only 10,000 came home. 10,000 Scotsmen, they reckon, <laughs> decided, decided Cordoba what do you think with, you're its, eating, Colin? with its Malbec, with its steaks, with its beautiful, beautiful people was a far better option than Glasgow. So they stayed out in, in Cordoba. So yeah, you have to go and visit the Scots diaspora, least while you're out there and, and a little pilgrimage to stadium. I, I think there's a... There's a, there's a theme there for Scottish football fans. There's all the lines of Lisbon. I think yeah. there's a, a huge part of Portugal following. The, was it Aberdeen going to... Celtic. Yeah, against Lisbon in the Europa Cup, European Cup? Well, I think, was, was it... Was it anyway, yeah, Lisbon Lions, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, anyway. Celtic, Celtic won that Lisbon, one, but that was yep. a long time ago. Long time ago. Anyway... We have run out of time, but um, that was fantastic. And I am going to have to wait another 12 months for a chance to experience the one and only Rally Argentina. Now, if this podcast has just whetted your appetite for more things Argentina, check out dirtfish.com for more tales of Argentinian action. And you can get in touch with us at Dirtfish Rally. But uh, for now, that's it from us. Make sure you subscribe, though to get your next fix of Spin the Rally Pod. Colin Clark, how can people subscribe? Where can they well, find we're us? We're on all good podcast platforms. So iTunes, for example, just put either Dirtfish or Spin the Rally Pod into your search engine on your uh, your podcast platform and subscribe. And in that way, you won't miss a single episode. It'll just download into your podcast Dropbox or whatever it is you're using. So, yeah, just just Google it or search it in your podcast platform, Lisa, and it's there waiting for you. It is, and it's not just uh, the four of us yabbering on mm. as well. We've got other great podcasts up there, including if you want to relive the action from Safari 96, then you can listen to a fantastic interview that David Evans has done with Derek Doncy. And, uh, yeah, if you want to find out what white meat is in China... You really want to tune in to that podcast before you head out there. It's a, it's a great listen. It's a really great it, listen. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so I sort of stared at him for a while. And then we went to shake hands. And he went to do that really cool handshake. You know, the the one that rally drivers always do now. And I went for a very formal English handshake. Oh, man. It was just my toes are curling at that memory. It, it, but for me, what, 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 were you wearing cards and a V-neck sweater as well? Look, <laughs> almost certainly, Colin. Almost certainly. He would have been called there, Colin. Though. Fair <laughs> but yeah, not my finest hour with Carlos, but undoubtedly one of Carlos's own finest hours. Well, there's an enduring image. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Lisa, Lisa, can, I, can I just have one more little story? One more little story just on, on zebras. Oh, one more on zebras. I'm watching because the clock, but yes, they, you they can. David talking about zebras reminded me. Reminded me of the time that, that I was there. One of the stories I can actually tell from Zebras uh, was the time that Phil Pugh, because uh, Phil Pugh was there with, uh, who would you have been Guy with, Wilkes. David? With, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he'd been into Zebras. He had a few. Sorry, with who? With, with um, what's his name? Guy Wilkes. Guy Wilkes? No, no, Mr. Phil. Wilkes. Yeah, Guy Wilkes. Yeah, of course, Guy Wilkes. So yeah. they'd, I think they'd yeah. finished second on Rally Argentina. It was 2010. They'd finished second when it was IRC days. Uh, so obviously, Phil had had a few to drink. We're in Zebras. I turned up. Now, I don't wear V-neck Marks and Spencer sweaters. I had my finest Ralph Lauren shirt on, David. Finest. It was wow. brand spanking new. Copy. I'd, 
I'd actually I'd spend some money on it, and I never spend money on clothes. I always get them from secondhand shops or from factory outlets or whatever. I'd spend some money on this shirt. Pew staggers across to me and says something unintelligible about me having a fine chest. Couldn't see enough of it. Ripped my shirt open, taking every single button off. Every single button off. And to this day, there are pictures of me in that nightclub with my tar- shirt tucked in, with my chest out, um, looking well, a little wow. bit peeved, I'd have to say. That's, that's one of the probably more tellable stories from Nights Out in Zebras. It was a hell of but a it, place. But it used to be, there used to be an early flight from Cordoba up to Buenos yeah. Aires. Uh, right. And you used to get so many people Oof. that literally packed their bag left it in reception and then went straight from zebras to to the airport and oh yeah. my good lord the state of some of those people on the flight it was it was comical yeah. you know the, the the best trick for the winter flights out of cordoba is never to take the first flight out of, of cordoba fog. you take the second one yeah. so what happens is the first flight is sitting there and it can't take off because it's sat there overnight hmm. the second flight arrives clears away some of the dust but 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 the, the first pilots have now run out of hours, so they've got to go for their coffee break. Very often, this, well, most often, the second flight is several hours ahead of the first flight. Sometimes and they cancel that th- first flight another... and they reschedule it to the 11 o'clock flight. So uh, That's another yes, yeah, note to make to yes. myself. Second flight. Second flight. <laughs> Don't take the first one, take the second one. We found Every a way time. around that, though, Cole, didn't we, by going out on Sunday night? Yeah, Sunday night. Oh, and, and that, we, that... Then you would miss... Then you... Yeah. That's not, uh, a bad, not a bad play, that one, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, they can't. They can't handle the nightclub action. No. Seems like clearly. never that's could. It's all never could. Really. <laughs> that's it for us, though, for this edition of Spin the Rally Pod. Make sure you subscribe, whichever platform you're hearing us on, iTunes, uh, all of them. <laughs> Let's take that out. Uh, whichever platform you're listening to us on, make sure you subscribe, and then the next edition will just pop into your phone or your audio device that you're listening on and you'll just be able to push play. And I think we're talking volcanoes next, mm. lads. But for now, see you Here's later. Me. Bye. Bye.